So when we uh, laid all this out and decided we we're going to do healing ministry, we didn't realize that we were going to be in the middle of the coronavirus excitement. <clears throat> we're going to be doing this Sunday. And uh, Monday I was at a workshop in San Antonio, a financial planning workshop that the conference was providing for clergy. And one of our speakers was from the Ernst & Young office out in Seattle. So he flies in early Monday morning and we're introducing him. This is so-and-so, you know, and he works with Ernst & Young. He's a financial planner. And, and he flew in this morning from Seattle and the room goes, ooh. And then he coughed. <laughs> and everybody goes, oh, whoa, whoa. So I noticed at the break, no one was shaking his hands. And I'm going, I'm, I'm sorry. I said, but, so, you know, it's interesting. Uh, we come into this healing. Um, I guess there's a couple things I want to say as we get into this. Uh, healing is one of those areas that uh, kind of people kind of freak out about sometimes. And some of us are old enough to remember, you know, the whole put your hand on the TV thing, right? Some of you remember that? So, so, you know, I mean, let's be honest, you know, sometimes this thing gets uh, abused and uh, uh, twisted around and taken advantage of, and we recognize that. Uh, but the other thing is, I, I, want, I want you to be open to the possibilities this morning. I want you to hear a couple of things. One, healing can be very ordinary. Um, if God is the God who gives us life, God is the one who is our strength, God is the source of our goodness, God is also the source of our healing. And all healing ultimately comes from God. Uh, I have a friend who's a medical doctor in Corpus, and what he would tell you is, you know, if you break your arm and you come in to see me, he says, I can put the two ends of the bone together, put a plate in there to hold it together, but I can't make the bone heal. Uh, that's something that God pours out upon us. It's built into us and God provides for his spirit. And he would tell you all healing, all healing, no matter what, all healing finds its source in God in one way or another. So, so all the ordinary kinds of things are acts of God's healing. On the other hand, I don't want you to... to completely rule out the possibility of God doing amazing things. Um, in, in Nashville this past fall, I'm, I'm at the, this uh, New Room Conference, and Mike Pilavachi is one of our speakers, and, uh, and Mike's talking, and we're doing a healing service that night. And as I'm getting ready to walk into the sanctuary, uh, there's a woman standing outside, and she's just in tears and crying, and I don't know who she is, but you know, I, I stop and, and ask what's going on and all that. And Turns out she had gotten a phone call that afternoon that uh, basically was ending her career path that she had been on, and years and years of work were, were coming to an end, and, uh, and she was devastated. And so I, I prayed with her for a while, and then we walked in, and we sat down, and we go through the service, and he speaks for a while, and all, and he comes to the part of the service where we're going to do healing prayers, and he starts off with stuff like, okay, you know, so if you have bad knees, if you, if you have trouble with your knees, we want you to come down and let us pray for you. And I'm thinking, well, you know, there's 3,000 people in the room. You, know, you can't miss with that, right? I mean, you know, how many, what, we've got 150 people got bad knees in this room probably, you know? And, and so there's a few of them like that. But then he starts getting more and more specific until finally he says, at 317 this afternoon, one of you got a phone call telling you that your career was ending. And you're devastated. And I'm, I'm looking down, <laughs> I love her, she's about three seats down. I'm looking down at her and she's looking at me and I'm going, I didn't tell him anything. And she's looking, and we're, we're both, our eyes are like this big around. He goes, I want you to come down and let us pray healing for your spirit. And I'm going, go, go. And so she gets up and starts to walk down. And one of the volunteer people in the prayer team joined with her and is talking to her as she walks down. And as she comes down, Mike says, no, no, don't try to counsel her. We're just going to pray for God's healing for her. Don't make this weird. <laughs> I'm thinking, too late. <laughs> too late I'm totally freaked out right so so I want you to be open to the broader possibilities too I want you to hear that you know sometimes it's very ordinary and sometimes it is not 
The other thing is, I want to set the location of this for you a little bit and the Holy Land, because all these stories this morning come in a very small area. As you look at this map, this is the northern end of Israel, mostly the Galilee. You can see Nazareth, Jesus, town where he grew up. You can see Capernaum, which is where several of these stories take place. And most of it is going to take place either in there or between there. Uh, there's a little closer map of the sea itself from looking at it from the western bank. And on the right-hand side of that map, uh, just uh, below where you see a little red roof church looking building is the, the village of Capernaum. And just above that, there's a square structure, which is the Mount of Beatitudes. As you go around the shoreline, you'll see a, a boat with a square sail, and just above that, a little village, which is Magdala. And there's a trail that goes up from that to Cana and over to Nazareth. So we're going to be talking a little bit about those locations. But, you know, having grown up in South Texas where everything's 30 miles apart, one of the things that was amazing to me was to go to Capernaum and look across to Magdala and realize it's only three miles over there. Uh, so all those stories where Jesus is walking, uh, it's much closer together than what you realize. In fact, this is the view. If you're in Capernaum and you're looking over toward Magdala, that's it in the distance there at the foot of that hill. Uh, that's the town. So you can see it's, it's really not very far, uh, especially for someone who's used to you know, greater distances. Everything is fairly close together. Now behind Magdala, you'll see there's a, a couple of hills. If you get closer in, you realize there's these two bluffs, and between them is the trail that goes up to Cana and Nazareth. This is actually the wall of the Rift Valley you're seeing, and the trail goes up between them up onto the top where Cana and Nazareth are up at the top. And that trail is called uh, the Valley of the Doves. Uh, if you walk it, it looks like this. And the Valley of Doves is a, a, a trail that has been used for millennia for people going from the land down to the Sea of Galilee. And uh, if you walk this, you can do so with a, a, a fair degree of assurance that Jesus walked this trail. Uh, this is the path that people have walked down for, for thousands and thousands of years. So he would have walked through here. This is also where the wind funnels down into the Sea of Galilee to create a lot of the storms that take place there. Um, as you get over toward Capernaum, if you walk over there, when you come close, there's a gate because it's an archaeological site. But as you look past that gate, you can see on top of the hill uh, the church with the, the cross on top of it there. That is the Church of the Beatitudes. It sits on top of the area where Jesus uh, gave the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's an eight-sided structure for the eight Beatitudes, uh, and it was built actually by Benito Mussolini. Uh, and so, uh, it, but it's a, a site that you can go to and visit when you're there. You come in, if you're coming into Capernaum from the sea, uh, you see at a distance, you can see how the shoreline kind of looks as you approach it. And then when you get in closer, you can see the village a little more clearly. All this, just to kind of have you understand that all, all this takes place in a geographically kind of small space. Uh, a, 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 a God is doing a lot in a small area. In this area. And so this is the, the kind of ground we're going to be in this morning as we talk through these stories. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we come on Time Change Sunday. We just ask you to clear the cobwebs out of our mind and uh, awaken our spirits to hear what you share with us today. Uh, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. As you walk into Capernaum, you see what's called the White Synagogue. Uh, the ruins look like this, um, and it stands here. It actually, this actually is about 300 years newer uh, than the time in which Jesus was there, uh, these ruins are, but they are built on the ruins of an older church, which you can see the darker stone uh, underneath it, where the original synagogue was, and that's where the first story takes place. They came to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. 
They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Um, now, that's a, a, an interesting statement because the scribes were the authority on Scripture at this time. So, Peter is conveying to us uh, in, in, in here that, you know, there was something really amazing about the way in which Jesus was teaching these Scriptures. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. It's always interesting to me in Scripture that the unclean spirits and the demons always recognize Jesus before the rest of us do. Uh, but Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Now, now when they say that, that word amazed that's used there has the sense not only of being kind of awestruck at that, but also of being kind of afraid, being fearful of it. Uh, and, and frankly, that's one of the things I've noticed is that a lot of times when amazing things happen, God does amazing things, we're really kind of afraid of that. I mean, it kind of freaks us out. And we'll go to great lengths to try to explain it away. And we'll try to find all kinds of ways to talk about it instead of just acknowledging that God has just done something we can't explain. Uh, and we're not that different from the people back then. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about it here a little bit is this whole idea about the, the possession and the unclean spirit. We don't use that language a lot anymore, and you know, I'm not sure I really want us to go back to using all that language because sometimes that gets kind of weird. Um, but, but the other end of it is I don't think we want to just dismiss that too easily. Um, we use, do use that language in ways when we talk about a gathering has a, a friendly spirit about it or it's a positive spirit in the room or things like that. So we use that language and we understand something about it. Uh, but what we sometimes forget when we are talking about healing is we, we want to kind of reduce it down to a, a simplistic model where we begin to treat ourselves like a machine. You know, it's, it's a machine and if you just replace the right part or fix the right part, you know, everything will run well. And the truth is we're not machines, and we're much more complicated than that. And when Scripture deals with healing, it's going to talk about that in terms of spiritual and emotional and cultural, relational kinds of things, as well as physical. All through Scripture, what you're going to hear over and over is a, a connection between healing and, and casting out unclean spirits, because they were understood as different types of healing, but they're still healing. And sometimes we need to take that seriously. The, the whole psychosocial area of our uh, therapeutic world right now, uh, you, you know, to a, a certain extent is more limited in understanding than most of the other areas. Uh, you don't hear people in that field talking much about cures. You'll hear them ta talking about people adjusting and adapting, but they won't necessarily say they're gonna somebody's going to be cured uh, because it's an area that we really don't have a good handle on. Uh, and the rate of success in that is far below the rate of something like an antibiotic where we can identify the bacteria and know which antibiotic to, that you should have. Uh, when we get into these areas, we're, we're dealing in areas that are much more uh, unknown and fuzzy. And so I, I don't want to just have us dismiss that idea because there is some truth to how our spirit can become unclean and unhealthy. And sometimes we need to have spiritual health before we can have physical health. So um, you may want to wrestle with that, and I'm not, I, don't, I don't know that I know all the answers to that, but, but I do know that we tend to dismiss it too easily. 
so when you come out of the synagogue, going toward our next story, you step into uh, the, the ruins of the town of Capernaum. That's, that's right out the front door. And you'll notice kind of on your right-hand side, there's a bit of a structure. Well, here's the head-on to that structure, which is a, kind of a spaceship-looking church that is built over the ruins of a church that is built on the ruins of a house. It is the only house in Capernaum that has a church built on it, probably in the early 300s. And because of that, it's widely considered to be Peter's home. This is where he lived. And it's right out the door. I mean, you can see it's, it's just you walk right out to it. So the scripture says, you know, as soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew because it was right there with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. It sounds very ordinary. Uh, I mean, the kind of ordinary things that we take for advantage sometimes without recognizing the power of God in it. And then that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. Yeah, sick or possessed with demons. You hear the connection there. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So again, this connection between the spiritual and the, and the physical uh, that seems to be recognized here that really has only in the last 50 to 75 years been recognized more broadly in uh, Western medicine, that there's a connection between our spirit and how well we heal. Uh, there's been studies that have been done showing that people that have good spiritual support and, and uh, spiritual and emotional health heal much more rapidly and fully than people who don't. And babies that are born, newborns that are born, uh, that receive lots of uh, contact, physical touch, and lots of affection tend to thrive, and babies that don't receive that don't thrive. Uh, so, I mean, there, there's a spiritual side to all of this that's really important. Now, in between here, Jesus has left Capernaum for a while, gone home, and now he comes back in our next story to Capernaum. Uh, and it was reported that he was there. And so people gathered around uh, so many that there was no longer room for them, not even in front of the door. They couldn't even walk the walkway. And Jesus was speaking the word to them. He's teaching. Then some people came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. Now, I want you to remember that the roofs in this time were, were built in a certain way. They had a, a large timber that went across and then uh, smaller uh, uh, pieces of wood that were laid on top of that, and then kind of a straw and mud mixture was laid on top of that. So when they say they dug through it, I mean, they literally dug and broke branches and so forth to get through this. And, and I, I, you know, I, I've often wondered, I mean, what it was like to be in the room when that was going on. I mean, surely they knew. I mean, if you're in the room, all this stuff is falling down, and they must have been wondering, what, what, what? And, and the guy, you know, I mean, I imagine, you know, uh, people were kind of freaking out a little bit about that as all that was going on. It was loud, and, and stuff was falling. And then they lower this man down in front of Jesus, and, and that probably kind of set the whole crowd a little bit on edge. They're pretty freaked out right now at this point. And when Jesus saw their faith, the four friends, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, you and I know 
that the answer to that is, duh, it's Jesus. I mean, you know, right? I mean, Jesus can, I mean, because Jesus is God. We, we get that. The crowd then didn't catch on to that yet. And so they're stunned and amazed that he's done this. But what I want to point you to is that the healing now that's going to happen doesn't happen because of the paralytic's faith. When Jesus saw the faith of, their, of his friends, you know, sometimes when we are in the midst of long-term illness or chronic pain or chronic struggles in our lives or chronic failure in our lives, uh, we get ground down to the point where we lose faith and where we lose hope. And we begin to go into despair in a very dry place in our lives. And when that happens, we need friends like this. You know, sometimes you'll hear uh, people talk about somebody doesn't receive healing because their faith isn't strong enough. Sometimes it's not about their faith, it's about the faith of the other people around them. We need people who, when we're in that dry place of desperation, we need people who will take us and bring us into the presence of Christ. We need people who will have faith for us when we are not able to have faith for ourselves. And the flip side of that is, we are called to be those people for others. Because there will be a time when someone around you will be in that place. And they will need you to have faith when they cannot. And you to have hope when they're despairing. And those friends are powerful powerful things to have people to have around you in a time like this they bring him they lower him through the roof and when jesus sees their faith he says son your sins are forgiven and at once jesus perceived in his spirit that the pharisees were discussing these questions among themselves and he said to them why do you raise such questions in your heart which is easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or to say stand up and take your mat and walk But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Again, there's that word amazed with kind of the connotation of a little bit of fear there. We've never seen anything like this. And if you are ever in the midst of one of those events when that happens, that's kind of what you're like, oh, what in the world is going on? Here's what I want you to hear on that. Do you notice that the first thing that happens is Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. That happens before the physical healing. That hadn't struck me until the last several years when I've been in different places that do healing ministries and, and, and ministries of healing prayer. And one of the things that, that I've noticed is every time they do that, the first part of that prayer is always about forgiveness. Before there's any prayer for healing of, of yourself or someone else, the first part of it is to be forgiven and, and accept that forgiveness and to pronounce that forgiveness upon the people around you. That always precedes any prayer for any kind of physical or emotional healing. Because when our spiritual self is broken and sick, when we're holding on to bitterness and anger and resentment, or shame and guilt, we're just not open to the grace of God moving in our lives. We're not open to the power of the Spirit. The first thing that has to happen is that that spiritual part has to become healthy or at least less sick 
so that God's healing can flow into our lives or into the lives of the people around us. Uh, it's, it's forgiveness first. It's restoration of spiritual health and then physical health. I mean, it all fits together. We're all of a piece. It's this whole way of viewing who we are. The last story I'm going to talk about goes, occurs as he's traveling back through uh, Magdala and he's walking on that trail uh, going or approaching Magdala. And as he does, uh, when Jesus returned, the crowd were waiting for him, welcomed him. Uh, they were all waiting for him. Just then, there came a man named Jairus, who is a leader of the synagogue. He fell at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, who was dying. I'm not going to spend time with Jairus' daughter, but spoiler alert, just so you know, Jesus goes and she heals and recovers. So, just, so you don't worry about that. Uh, but what happens is what's sometimes called the miracle on the way to a miracle uh, this next story. So as he went, the crowds pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years, and though she had spent all she had on physicians, no one could cure her. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothes, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Then Jesus asked, who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds surround you and press in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I noticed that power had gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she could not remain hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. If you go into Magdala, there's a... a, a a worship space, a sanctuary, and there's a room called the healing room. And uh, behind the altar, you'll see this mural of the woman reaching out to touch the robe. Uh, and you can see there the, where, where her hand touches it, the flash of the, the healing power that's coming to be in her body. This story is an interesting one because there are, are several pieces in it that I think have to be lifted up. Uh, one, she, she comes through the crowd, and you know, all these people are bumping up against Jesus and bumping into him, but he knows when this woman touches him. Now, he's on the way to raise up this girl who's dying, which is a pretty major deal, but he stops to notice this woman who's touched his robe. I mean, how many times do I hear people say, well, you know, I, I really haven't prayed much about this because I haven't wanted to bother God with it. You know, well, I know I have this problem, but, you know, God's got bigger fish to fry than what my, my problems are and everything. So what I want you to hear, it doesn't matter what your problem is. Your, your problem is not too small for God to notice it and deal with it. Whatever it is, it is not too small for God to know that you've been there. It is not too small for Jesus to know that you've reached out to him. It is not too small to receive healing for. There is no such thing. The second thing is with this woman, if you notice when they start trying to find her, she's remained hidden. You see, in, in this day and age, uh, a woman that had had that kind of hemorrhage would have been ritually unclean, which means for the last 12 years, she hasn't been able to go to the temple to worship. And anyone she comes into physical contact with has to go through the rites of purification before they can go to the temple and worship. And so people are keeping their distance from her. They don't want to have physical contact with her at all. Not only does she have this physical ailment, but she's isolated and separated from the people around her. And, and when she goes in and touches the hem of Jesus' robe, she's risking 
Because if it had been anybody else, she would have just made them unclean. That's why she's trembling. That's why she's afraid. That's why she's hidden. And, and I've often wondered since she's, it says remain hidden, was she, did she come in? Was she on her hands and knees where people couldn't see her? I suspect she was. And yet Jesus stops and says, who is it? Somebody, somebody touched me. I felt the power go out. I mean, he stops and recognizes her. I mean, it's not simply that she's receiving a physical healing here, but, but her relationships, her connection with her community, her connection with her family, all that's being healed in this moment just as well. And sometimes those pieces are just as powerful for us as the physical healing. You know, I, I, the only person I could think of, you know, really that I, I experienced that kind of isolation with was my uh, friend long ago in Corpus, uh, who uh, came down with AIDS, being HIV positive, and this was in the late 80s, and nobody really knew what about it, and everybody was afraid of it, and people were terrified, and nobody wanted to go near him, and nobody wanted to help him, and, and all of us in his small group ended up being his care group through that, and we were all terrified too, but we, we felt we needed to do this. This was what God was calling us to do, uh, and, and in the midst of that, there was a tremendous act of healing that he underwent, not physically, but spiritually. Because all these folks had abandoned him and left him, and yet there was at least some of us through whom he felt God's love still being mediated to him. And that was a tremendous time of spiritual healing for him in the midst of all of that. I mean, sometimes we forget, you know, it's, it's not just physical healing. There's the emotional piece to it. There's the spiritual piece to it. There's all of these other kind of connections, relationships that God is at work, and God is working in different ways to be around that. And it's not mechanical. It's not like you get to say, okay, we're going to replace the spark plugs and everything in my life is going to be great. You know, I mean, we bring what we have to God and God acts in the ways that God acts. And sometimes the healing that comes is not what we would choose, but it is what God would choose. But nonetheless, when we're open, when we're open to the moving of God's Spirit, the same Christ who healed back then and is resurrected and is present with us through the power of the Spirit brings healing to us now. So I, I want to encourage you this morning, if there's things in your lives as you're leaving, there are folks uh, in the gathering area at the tables uh, representing life recovery and uh, prayer ministry, healing prayer ministry. Uh, and if there are areas in your life that you have not brought to God, um, reach out and talk to those folks and, and ask them to help you do that. Uh, take a chance, uh, get beyond your fear, uh, get beyond your reservation, uh, invite God to be involved in what's going on in your life, and allow the power of God to begin working to bring wholeness in your life. That healing may come in very ordinary kinds of ways over a long period of time. It may totally freak you out and come in a miraculous kind of way. Uh, but every way it comes, whether it's ordinary or or as unordinary as possible, it is the power of God breaking into the midst of our lives. And it is the love of God desiring to bring wholeness to us. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we confess to you that we don't understand all of this. We are in way over our head with it. Um, we don't understand why sometimes it goes one way and sometimes the other. Uh, we just have to come to you maybe even on our hands and knees, and reach out to you 
and know that in, in love, nothing we bring to you is too small. And know that in love, your power will bring healing to our lives, to all of our lives. And so we ask that you would come in the power of your spirit and bring the wholeness that we long for to come and dwell in our lives. We ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.